I'm not going to paint my apartment. I crossed that one off the list last year. Good, good. Welcome to the Montague Reporter Podcast. This is kind of weird. We're back in the office on Avenue A. We've taken down the plexiglass divider. Fully vaccinated, so... We hope that our listeners are enjoying the changes in society as the pandemic ebbs. Let us know what you think. Podcast at montaguereporter.org. That's Sarah Brown Anson. Yep, and I'm here with Mike Jackson, who you all are probably very familiar with by now. For first-time listeners of the Montague Reporter podcast, I am the managing editor of the Montague Reporter, which is a newspaper. It's a weekly newspaper in Montague, Massachusetts. Yeah. I should say up front for our listeners that I am very sleep-deprived, so (laughs) you might want to listen to the parts that I'm talking at like 1.5 speed on your podcasting app. Okay, so there was a really good story in last week's paper, actually, about a building, a historical building that was sold on the Ave, the St. Cat's Building. Yeah, uh, it's been a few weeks since we taped our last interview, so we are talking about our June 17th edition. I wrote this one. It's called St. Cat's Building Changes Hands, and I really like talking to people writing this one, and... I think I went into it thinking that it was, you know, a sad story or kind of a tough story, sign of the times kind of thing. And I, I, I felt a little bit differently after after talking to everyone. It, it seems like it's um, it's going to be an okay situation for the club, St. Casimir's here in Turner's Falls. They're going to get to stay in the building, which uh, they had to sell. They seem to be getting along with the new owner, this guy, Oliver Miller, uh, who this is the fifth building in downtown Turner's Falls he's bought in five years. There's an Avenue A on the other side building with four storefronts that, that um, he uh, and a real estate partner bought in, I guess, 2016, 17, um, and then, yeah, a few other buildings since then. So Oliver's one of a handful of people who have purchased multiple buildings in downtown Turner's Falls in the last few years, uh, which I think is an interesting. You know, I, li- I live here um, downtown, and it's just interesting to, to watch I generally, like, you know, every once in a while, log into the Registry of Deeds website and, and see what has changed hands. I should be doing that anyway, you know, as, as someone trying to run a newspaper. But there have just been so many sales that I actually missed this one happening. Um, and we, we really missed the story by a month. This uh, sale had gone through on, I think, May 13th. And uh, we caught wind of it when the club came to us um, to place an ad for a liquor license adjustment hearing. And, you know, I kind of like fell out of my chair. I was like, you, you what? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I missed that one. Hmm. Just going back, St. Katz, how do you say it? Uh, St. Kaz. St. Kaz. It's a, is that a Polish club? It sure is. Uh, St. Casimir Society is one of um, what was once a, a huge number of different clubs and societies in, in downtown Turner's Falls during its industrial heyday from the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and it's one of the last ones that uh, still remains as an ongoing social club. There is both St. Casimir's and St. Stan's, uh, which also still has a clubhouse nearby. We're both started as kind of Polish-American mutual aid societies, and in order to raise money for a uh, Polish Catholic church in town, which they eventually did succeed at. And what is that Catholic church? Uh, it's the one uh, up on the hill, Our Lady of Czestochowa. 
It's up, up K Street, kind of uh, overlooking Food City. Going through some of the old materials those folks were sharing with me from 60 years ago, and even looking back at, at some of the stuff from the founding of the club, it, it's really neat to see how many of the family names are just folks who are still in town and, you know, subscribers of ours and, and people that I interact with. You know, this is their grandparents and great-grandparents and some some really serious roots here. I really liked that part of the article where you talked about social and mutual aid clubs, like what they are. Do you want to give like a brief overview? I mean, some of this function of that kind of social club might actually have been displaced a little bit by the the rise of mass health insurance for working class people. Originally, um, a lot of these clubs had, had a lot of different functions, a place to, to hang out and socialize, and every different way that being part of society, you know, benefits people would be generally included uh, at some level, I think, in most of these clubs. You know, you look back to the old papers here from Turner's and the St. Mary's Temperance Society basketball team is playing, you know, the so-and-sos at the at the Hibernian building and you know there were different different hose companies for for fires and just the the density of civic life in this town was really extraordinary the rendezvous restaurant you know used to be a, a french social club whoa so there used to be a lot of different social clubs but people mostly like sorted by their national origin or I think typically with earlier stages of, of immigration to town, the different groups would tend to form societies based on shared ethnic heritage. And then, you know, there was also, especially as you get into the, the early 20th century, you start seeing kind of more Americanization. We're a little bit off topic, but still really interesting stuff. It is the big topic, actually. I think we're on topic because, you know, there, there are so many factors that over the generations lead to, you know, a loss of capacity mm. in not just financially in clubs like this, but, but even in just the governance of trying to keep them going institutionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so St. Cass is going through that. Yeah. I mean, they have... This didn't really make it into the article, but they were talking to me about, you know, they, they have a large paper membership Still, the officers who I was talking with kind of were complaining of a dynamic of, you know, it seems like sometimes people are just really want the key card so that, you know, they can hang out and they don't, you know, no one really wants to, to help with the, with kind of the club work, which, I mean, who can blame them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of work for probably not too much reward. Right. And I mean, both of the people that I interviewed from, from St. Kaz were like, uh, multiple generation officers at St. Kaz in their in their own families, so they were kind of like continuing on, you know, family traditions and, and trying to try and do that. So, they, um, you know, as I say, they're downsizing. Um, they're moving. They're going to be in a smaller, well, really the just the part of the building that they have been using already at this point. You know, they couldn't keep up with increased regulatory burden, especially around sprinkler system fire suppression. Yeah, there was a performance space that needed a fire suppression system. Yeah, well, if you look at the building, and this um, this is you know the the building on the corner of Avenue A and Seventh, um, kind of uh, kitty corner across from Food City Plaza. Yeah, real nice building. They built uh, you know a, a kind of wing on the left hand side in about 1950, and that's like a banquet hall. 
Uh, the Montague Reporter has had a couple of quiz nights there, and they're you know generous with letting the community use it. Also been in there, you know, when when my dear friend Danny Cruz was alive, we had a couple of benefits there to to get him covered for tuition over at GCC, and you know we had bands playing in there. Um, but that really you know became a no-no in terms of not having a sprinkler system in there. So the new owner is planning to do some upgrades to the building eventually. It sounds like over time, right? Yep. You know, Oliver is a vintage furniture dealer and he has been, he told us, you know, looking for a while for a warehouse space locally of his own. So that banquet hall is going to be used for that. And then he's going to lease the bar side and basement and kitchen to the club. And then he hopes to get around to turning the upper stories into uh, large uh, apartments. That sounded really cool. Um, He's going to make them into big loft apartments. Probably for rich people, though. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I mean, he's a vintage furniture dealer. I I don't mean to, like, make fun of him, but um, obviously someone who owns five buildings and is planning to make loft apartments is very wealthy. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely a few. You know, I won't name specific buildings because it's such a small town, but um, the... There's an extremely um, wide range in the quality of, of housing stock downtown Turner's Falls right now. And there, there are definitely some very nice, big open floor plan, kind of like lofty apartments here. It's weird to see the town kind of like change or gentrify. I don't know if gentrify is the right word, but I think that's what happens when, you know, wealthy people move in, right? Yeah, it's certainly what I've heard. Rental prices, and this is... Not the fault of um, anyone buying the St. Cas building, but, you know, rents are unbelievable right now. Yeah, and yeah. I just was trying to find a spot for someone today and, and was asking a landlord who I knew had a place opening up because I knew someone else was moving. And he shared with me that, like, the last time they posted for, for a place, they had 70 applicants. Whoa. Yeah. When I moved here, you grew up in Franklin County. Yeah, I grew up in Leiden. I moved here in 2008, got a a job during the recession up in the industrial park was how I came to Turner's. So I kind of like really didn't know the town at all before I got here and, you know, was just coming from the eastern part of the state, you know, just like delighted with how low the rent was and and all, all of that. And that first year, I checked a DVD of an MCTV recording out from the Carnegie Library that was called The Changing Face of Turner's Falls. Um, it was in maybe 2007, so you know, not that long before that, um, a day-long event at the Shea Theater that the town was hosting, and I think maybe River Culture, to, to talk kind of about historic and, and contemporary changes in, in downtown Turner's. And it was uh, interesting, you know, I was kind of watching it as like research, what's this place I moved to? And I just remember people were talking about, you know, and maybe, you know, with the internet now, people can are going to be able to just move here and work from here, uh, even though their jobs are somewhere else. And, you know, it was at the time a really novel um, thought. You know, I just remember one one person during the question and answers raising their hands and, you know, asking the gentrification question. And Frank Abandanzio, our late longtime town administrator who, you know, really gets credit for a a lot of the the current economic successes of this town, although I'm sure some would argue, but, you know, had his had his hands in a a lot of different pieces of it over the years. Um, And and this was certainly a a big concern of his. Um, He laughed at that question you know um just the the thought that 
um, the the residential demand for this town um, could ever get to the point where it would lead to actually displacement of people who wanted to live here or already did was just, you know, so outside of his frame of, of thought. And, you know, I mean, that was like, what, 14 years ago? That was yeah. 13 years ago. 2008 was 13 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And I think he was, I think he was, uh, you know, genuinely laughing at the thought. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was federal COVID money that's coming to communities that the newspaper covers. In the June 10th issue, there's a nice picture of Jim McGovern and Walter Ramsey, who is the Montague Town Planner, walking along the canal in Turner's Falls. And Jim McGovern, what was the reason for his visit? Uh, he's a politician. Yeah, but what, what was he talking about? Well, I mean, the, the kind of main focus um, for him was to to go around to some of the towns and, and tout one of the big emergency bailouts that the federal government has, has just passed, the American Rescue Plan Act, and tell towns in his district that not only are towns getting money, but also like a different part of it is just going to the state, which should also give it to towns. So the towns need to like hit the state up for that. That was basically the underlying thing. He uh, turned out had some time on his hands, which the town officials were really delighted about. And, you know, they they excitedly took him out on a little walk around the canal district. I have to say it was a very convivial uh, hangout session among everyone there. A little gaggle of us, you know, uh, press people and the politicians' aides. Uh, Natalie Blay, our, our state rep, was there too. Oh, and I forgot to mention Natalie Blay. Yeah, yeah, she had been his aide. Wow. Before she got into into getting elected to things. One thing I thought was really fun, funny about this is, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it wasn't the best article. Um, don't go back and read it. I wrote this right before the newspaper went to the printers and uh, was having technical difficulties that I was preoccupied with. And uh, it was kind of like writing it with one hand. So uh, it gets a little bit half-assed toward the end. Just look at the picture. That's, just look at the yeah. picture. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, if you want to see me melting, just read that article. Anyway, the point of talking about this topic was towns around here are going to get some federal funds for projects. Do you want to give quick explanation of what projects might be funded? If you what know. Would, a lot of what I heard about chit chat wise when the congressman was in town there's some big ticket um you know wastewater especially uh sewers and, and things like that these like you know civil infrastructure things that are under the ground all across this great country of ours that are like all kind of like deteriorating on the same schedule yeah we've talked about this before i think both of us really like talking about invisible infrastructure it's like the most important and the thing that you don't automatically think about yes the most invisible the most it has the biggest gap between how much you see it and how much it helps you yes they were flushing the hydrants this week in turner's falls and my drinking water was off for a half hour and mm. yeah i had that reflection <laughs> Yeah, that happened to me when they flushed the hydrants on my street, too. I was like, why is there no pressure? Shout out to all the people who work super hard year-round in water departments and wastewater departments. Yeah. Without you, we wouldn't be able to drink. 
Yeah. There's a lot of things that Montague can do, but yeah, it'll probably be big ticket, you know, sewer mains and pump mm-hmm. stations. And um, there's like major capital improvements at the plant itself that need, you know, need to be done in the next few years. So Irving is also getting federal money. This was in this week's paper. We saw that they're getting $523,087. And they are talking about using it at the former International Paper Mill, which is town owned. And they're trying to turn around, see if anyone wants to use it. Um, Part of that project is putting a a wastewater pump station there. And they also have in Irving Center a sewer main that needs replacing. And that's going to be a boondoggle. I'm actually really looking forward to covering that one and i've been i've been psyching sarah robertson up to to be the the lead reporter on that because it's like when they put that sewer main in they didn't care about like wetlands and it's like there's like a stream and a rail uh railroad involved and they can't yeah yep boondoggly so um for listeners who aren't familiar with like wetlands regulations (laughs) that's a whole thing the tree huggers are making it more difficult to no fact check it really has nothing to do with tree huggers there's a lot of regulations around conserving wetlands swamp huggers um because wetlands are really important environmentally and arguably so there's state regulations which are enforced by towns the conservation commissions in individual towns acting as secret agents of the of the one world uh, globalist elite no acting as the agents of the massachusetts department of environmental protection so anyway (laughs) that's good to know that's gonna be covered you have a niche audience for that kind of reporting, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Ap- apologies namely, for, that, for that bit. Namely myself and myself and my family. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. Anything else about federal money? A uh, lot's coming down. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I've got I've got one foot in kind of the the social service world around here too. Um, I'm on a local board, and it really is impressive um, how much cash was forced down all of the existing tubes. Um, you know, as part of that uh, that whole pandemic shutdown uh, emergency that we had, and you know, it's still coming out of them and coming out sometimes in some strange places. Yeah, I mean trillions and trillions. Um it's kind of hard to comprehend on paper but then you, you like see what the re- the ripples of that are um if you're paying attention close enough attention which i guess we are um so that's interesting i was wondering do you have any non sequitur this week yeah, I think that there's a couple things I could touch on. One is um, I heard your bonus episode with Trish Crapo, who has just ended a term as a columnist at the Montague Reporter, amicably on good terms. I really enjoyed that episode. I thought I thought it was a really, really sweet conversation. And if anyone listening now hasn't listened to that, please go do that. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was nice. Trish and I go way back, as detailed in the episode. So I just wanted to shout out Trouble Mandison who has been substituting for Nina Rossi. Nina's the features editor at the Montague Reporter, who's away right now. So it has been great to see, like, Trouble's drawings on page A2 
And has she been doing like editing in the B section or what? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we we've always kind of joked me and Nina about um, you know how neither of us can really go anywhere mm. because the bundle of things that each of us has ended up doing <laughs> as part of our regular you know job is such a just such a strange set of different skills. So. Um, Nina did, um, yeah, sign up Trouble to to just do all the different things that that she does every week, which was really cool. From editing work and copy editing um, to writing local briefs to you know, chasing down listings and and helping collate things and yeah, even even the A two illustration, which is Nina's traditional slot. Yeah, it's been great just to have a different vibe, I guess, on it. But otherwise, the paper is totally reliable and um, wouldn't really have noticed if you hadn't mentioned it. If someone wants to substitute for me for a couple of weeks. Oh gosh, (laughs) sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) No, no, I mean, not literally. (laughs) But um, do you have, like, do you have someone in mind who actually could do that? Like, are you serious? I can't even. So um, one good thing is that um, we are about to go into our biweekly schedule. Yeah. You know, we just put out um, this edition June 24th, and the next one doesn't have to come out until July 8th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, we do that July and August, and um, it makes some, some weeks off. It's kind of like our main downtime from the paper. That's good. Thanks for listening to the Montague Reporter Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast in your podcasting app. Rate and review it. Uh, That gets us to more listeners. There's a newspaper also called Montague Reporter, which also offers subscriptions. And you can read that one. And there isn't really a place you can rate it. But people do go on Facebook and rate it because Facebook is just helpful like that. One person gave us a one-star review because we changed the Pet of the Week pictures. (laughs) Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music, and thank you to the folks at Greenfield Community Television for this equipment that we are recording on and for helping me figure out how to use it. Thank you to you, Sarah, for doing this awesome podcast um, and uh, to all of our listeners and all of our readers. Thanks, listeners. Email us, podcast at montagueworder.org. If you have any positive feedback you want to have played on our next episode, you can email it to me or call and leave a voicemail at 413-863. 8666. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.